0: 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at the first six six verses. I noticed that there were several people missing from the first service, and it seems as though there's several missing from the second service as well. And I thought maybe they read ahead and didn't want to be here for today's message, but I don't think that's the case. I think they were traveling. Uh, At least that's what I'm hoping for, anyways. But. Uh, we're going to begin the next couple of times we meet talking about marriage and the woman's role in marriage as well as the husband's role in marriage and I must confess to you I don't necessarily like teaching the wife part of it I'd rather teach the husband part of it because I am one Uh, but nevertheless the Lord has charged me with teaching all of his scriptures uh, exactly the way they've been written and I will do that to the best of my ability now I must also tell you there seems to be a strange thing happening in our culture today uh, we have, or we live in a culture where there's more information available than ever before. Uh, there's more information available about marriage than, ever has been, than there ever has been in history. You can go online, you can Google, you can read books, you can get any, just about any information you want, yet it seems that marital problems and divorces, it seems as though they're on the rise, that they keep increasing, even with all this information available. Obviously, something is wrong. There's something that's not happening properly. And I don't think it's enough just to say that somebody needs God in their marriage. I mean, certainly they do, and that's a good start. uh, But even Christian marriages are failing and falling apart. Even they are having difficulty. And the fact that a man and a woman are both saved does not guarantee that their marriage will succeed. You see, marriage is something that we have to work at. It's something that we're going to have to toil at. It's something where success is not automatic the moment you say, I do. I personally believe the Bible holds the answers and tells us what we need to do to have a godly marriage. Our culture screams one thing. The Bible proclaims another. Which you follow is your choice. You've got a choice. As we study the scriptures, and I'm going to share some things with you this morning, you might go, I don't like that. I'm not going to do that. Well, that's entirely up to you. You can make that decision. But I will encourage you that God knows what he's doing when it comes to marriage. After all, he's the one that designed it. He's the one that created us. His ideas, although they may not line up with the culture, are better than what the culture has to say. And let me say to you, they're proven throughout history. Now, let's quickly review the first uh, two chapters of Peter. Peter's written this letter both to encourage and to instruct many of those believers who have been displaced from their homes as a result of persecution. He's reminded them of their salvation. He's talked about their election. He's told them of this living hope that they have. He's talked about an eternal inheritance. And he's also spoke of their eternal security. Last week, we saw Peter take a turn towards the instruction side of things. He began to instruct them in submission and to submission. And I know that we as Christians don't necessarily like that word submission. It tends to be a bad word, especially when it comes to women. And we know that it's going to talk about women submitting to their husbands. But let me be clear. Submission is not a suggestion in the Christian life. It's a commandment. And it's not just women who are commanded to submit. So you'd better get used to it if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Last week, Peter instructed the Christian to submit to the government. He also instructed slaves to submit to their masters. In both of these cases, those called to submit did not get to choose the ones that they were under. Please remember, not only is submission, it's part of the Christian life. The Bible speaks of it in many different areas. Let me just give you a few examples. The Bible tells us Jesus submitted to his parents. The Bible tells us the demons submitted to the disciples. The Bible tells us, and we learned it last week, as citizens were to submit to the governmental authority... The Bible tells us the universe will submit to Christ. Unseen spiritual beings submit to Jesus as well. Christians should submit to their church leaders. Wives should submit to their husbands. We'll cover that today. The church should submit to Jesus. Servants should submit to their masters. We covered that last week. And ultimately, Christians should be submitted to God, which is how everything else falls in place. This morning, we will see Peter give instructions to the wives. And although we're not going to make it to the husbands today, I fully intended to when I started planning this message, but then I realized I couldn't spend 40 minutes on the wives and 5 minutes on the husbands. That wouldn't go over very well. Although Peter does spend 6 verses on the wives and only 1 verse on the husband, that's because we're hard-headed. We need it short and sweet to the points, otherwise our mind goes somewhere else. So this morning we're going to be looking at the first 6 verses of 1 Peter chapter 3. Follow along with me as I read them to you. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1 Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands and even if some do not obey the word they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear do not let your adornment be merely outward arranging the hair wearing gold or putting on fine apparel rather Let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. The very first word lets us know who Peter's writing to. He's writing to wives. He's speaking to wives here. So if you are a wife, or if you plan on being a wife someday, this message, Peter, is speaking to you. If you are a husband, this is the only time you can sleep in church. Go ahead and go to sleep. It's fine. I won't wake you up this time. But I know you won't because you want to hear what your wife is supposed to be doing. You want to be able to try to hold it against her someday. But let me remind you that nowhere in those six verses did Peter charge the husband with making sure the wife follows these six verses. You don't need to remind her. You don't need to tease her about it. If you desire to help her in it, can I encourage you by learning what you need to be as a godly husband and living it out and praying for her. She doesn't need your help in this. She needs your encouragement and she needs your prayer. She needs you to be the leader that God has called you to be in the home. Now, if you're an unmarried man and you hope to be married someday, you should pay attention. Because you may one day want to look at a godly wife or hope to have a godly wife and say, well, what does a godly relationship look like? And I need to consider, is this woman that I would like to marry someday a godly man? Is she a godly woman? Will she be able to come underneath of me like the Bible asks her to do? Wives, it says there, likewise... In other words, what he's saying, like I just told you to submit to the government, like I just told slaves to submit to masters, Peter now instructs wives to be submissive to their own husbands. And I know when I stand here and teach a message like this, I am perfectly aware that it goes against everything our culture teaches. I am aware of that. Don't ever try to put the Bible in line with the culture. Don't try to mix them together. Just simply choose which one you want to serve. They don't go together like that. Sometimes they may, but sometimes they're going to be polar opposites. In this case, I believe they're polar opposites. You have a choice to make. As for my family, we've chosen to follow God's word and God's plan. And I make no apologies for being politically incorrect, yet biblically accurate during this message. And I realize it's a message that people can take and they can twist and they can try to take part of it out of context and things like that. And that's not the intent. I will do my best to teach and explain to you God's word and how to apply it to your life. What you do with it after that is entirely up to you. So Peter tells the wives to be submissive. Last week we learned about this word. We learned what it means. I told you last week it's a military expression. And it means this, to arrange in formation under a commander. To arrange in formation under a commander. In any military around the world, there's an order. There's a structure. There's a hierarchy. There's a chain of command. God's economy is exactly the same way when it comes to the family the lord has called the husband to be the leader and he has asked the wife to place herself underneath of her husband yet to come alongside of him and accomplish what he's called that family to do together in the ministry that he's called them to her job is to help him accomplish the things that they're called to do together men are commanded to leave to i'm sorry to lead and to love not leave their wives lead their wives and love their wives wives you're commanded to come alongside and let your husbands lead you a wife and let me make this point a wife or a woman is not a second-class citizen she is not called to be a slave and her husband is never to treat her like that a wife is not inferior to her husband and god doesn't like men better than women that's not what this is about he simply created us for different roles. When we come together the way God intended, we accomplish his purpose. And it's a beautiful system that works wonderfully the way he designed it to be. Way back in the book of Genesis, God told the woman, as part of her curse for sinning, that she would have a desire to rule over her husband. But, the why, but that's not the way that was supposed to go. That's why this doesn't come naturally for women. That's why it's something they have to work at and have difficulty with sometimes. And please remember, when we speak of submission here, we're not just talking about physical submission. We're also talking about your attitude of submission. The attitude of saying, you know, it's one thing to submit to your boss at work or to a husband. And and, and I do what I have to do, but my heart is bitter. My heart is mean. That's not the submission that that Peter's talking about here. He's talking about one of physical submission, but also one with an attitude and a heart. And it's done because the woman wants to please God, not necessarily because her husband deserves it. The man is not the ultimate authority in the woman's life, the Lord is. Don't lose that perspective it's not saying that all of a sudden the husband tells the wife everything that she has to do and can do and can't do the lord is the ultimate authority in the woman's life and because he's the authority she should look and say all right lord what do i want me to do i want you to come underneath of your husband okay i'll do that well but he doesn't deserve it he's not he's not in a good place he's not a very good leader if he led then i would follow no no that's not the command The command is not if he's a good husband, if he's a good leader, if he does it the way you want him to do, if you think he's doing it the right way. But the command is pretty clear. Wives, be submissive to your husband. Ladies, if you're not married, can I just say something to you and you plan on getting married someday? And you desire a godly marriage? Please ask yourself this question as you begin dating this guy. Can I place myself underneath of him? You know how many marriages could be done away with? People would have never gotten married in in difficult marriages. They just would have said, all right, I want to follow a godly marriage. And the godly marriage says, I'm going to have to 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 let this man lead me. Do I see him now at this point able to lead me? Not that he's perfect. Or is he just, you know, I'm amazed at how many people get into relationships and and I hear the very things that they liked about their mate when they were dating are the things that drive them nuts after they've been married for 10 years. Oh, he's so fun-loving. He just loves to pick up and go on a whim. Well, he's not going to change. He's going to be that way after you have kids and with the job and everything else when there's responsibilities on the... He's going to be the same way. Consider that before you get married. This is the command that God gives me to a husband. Can I fulfill this in this man? If the answer right off the bat while you're dating is no, you might want to move on. You might not want to waste any time there. Also, please notice something. This is really important. Peter calls the woman to be submissive to who? It says there very clearly, and it says it twice in this passage to their own husbands. This is in no way saying that women need to be submissive to men. This is no way saying that women can't have a job where she supervises a man. This is this is this is God's talking about the family here, the way the family operates. He's talking about your own husband. This means that, guys, you can't stand out in the lobby after church with your coffee cup empty and have some woman come by and expect her to fill it up for you. She's going to tell you to go get your own coffee. That's perfectly okay. You should get your own coffee. But understand it's her husband. It's your own husband. You get to pick him, ladies, but then you have to live with him. You get to pick him, but then you own him. He's yours. Let me give you a little bit of historical background on this. Back in that day when Peter's writing this, many of these first century women were becoming Christians, and they were married, and their husbands were not becoming Christians. They were not following the Lord. So these women began to, the relationships began to get difficult because they had a a situation where the woman was following one religion and the man was perhaps following another religion, which was unheard of in that day. You always came underneath of of, of your husband. And so the women began to ask questions like, should I get divorced? Should I I let him, do I have to listen to him? He's not even a Christian. What do I have to do? It's then that Peter writes these words that even if some husbands there, even if some, verse 1, husbands, he's talking about, do not obey the word. He's telling them why they need to be submissive. If they do not obey the word, they without a word, that's the husbands, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Understand something, although submission isn't an obli- although it is an obligation, it's also an opportunity. There's an opportunity for the ladies there. You have a chance to win an unbelieving husband or even have a believing husband mature based on your conduct, based on the way that you live. Your husband may not be a follower of Jesus Christ, but you have a chance to bring him to Christ without a word, without saying a word, without preaching to him, without nagging him. How? He told you right there, with your chaste conduct, chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Now, let me explain those words to you. The word for chaste means without moral defect, it means pure, and it means good conduct. This means that a a, a Christian wife should be living a pure life, a good conduct life. And the word, when it says they're accompanied by fear, accompanied by fear, that's not a real good translation. The word for fear means this it means profound respect profound respect. So it's not that you're in fear of your husband, it's that you have a respect for him. You see, the conduct is the outside, the respect is the inside. That's how it works together. The conduct is how how you live your life, the respect is how you treat him, what you say to him, all of those kinds of things. You have an opportunity, ladies, to win your husband to Christ as he observes your pure conduct, your good conduct. And your profound respect for him. Your actions and your attitudes will make a difference in his eternity, what Peter's saying there. Do you know that the number one complaint I hear from men in marriage counseling is my wife doesn't respect me? I hear it all the time. She doesn't respect me. She doesn't respect me. She doesn't respect me. Yet it's ironic. Maybe it's not really ironic. Maybe because he knows what, knows what he's doing. God mentions here profound respect. And again, in Ephesians, he would tell the wives to respect their husbands. Yet it seems to be the very thing missing in so many marriages. I told you, the world has a way of doing things, and the Bible has a way of doing things. Choose which one you will serve. Choose which one you will follow. Your unsaved husband will not come to Christ with you preaching at him. He doesn't want to hear it from you. Your unsaved husband is not going to come to Christ when you nag him to come to church or you nag him to go to Bible study or you nag him or you make him pray before dinner when he doesn't really want to. It's not going to work. You're not going to bring him to Christ when you make him feel silly or stupid for not understanding that basic Bible question that you asked him. You you can leave the Bible open all day long on the table. It's not going to do anything for him. He's not going to read it. He's going to close it as he walks by. But there's something there that the word just told you that you can affect your husband with, with your conduct and with your respect for him. He's going to see a change in you and he's going to go, huh, what happened? What is it that took my wife and made her all of a sudden start respecting me? What is it that took my wife and made her all of a sudden start, what, how, what, what's going on with you? What's, what's different about you? And then she begins to tell you, oh, now you just got his attention. But not all the nagging, it doesn't work that way. Let me say it again, your unsaved husband may come to Christ when he observes your good conduct and profound respect for him. What you do, ladies, is you submit to the Lord and you leave him in God's hands. That's what you're doing. All you're saying is, Lord, I I see what you're doing. And you might even say, Lord, it's hard. You know, this guy is tough. He, He makes it difficult. That's okay. I'm going to submit to the Lord, and I'm going to put him in your hands. And the scripture has given me a promise here, and I'm going to hold, it, hold on to it. Can I tell you that from time to time, I'll run across a woman, even in our church, who maybe uh, her husband is not a believer. And she'll want to volunteer for something, or she'll want to sign up to do something. And I always ask the question, and it's even on our little ministry application for different ministries, you know, like for our children's ministry, and it's, it's, does your husband support you volunteering in this ministry? And from time to time, someone will say, well, not really. He'd rather me not do this and and be home. And I would respond, and that's where you need to go. Your, Your ministry is to him at home. You have a chance to change him for eternity. Maybe, but I want to serve the Lord. You will serve the Lord as you submit to the Lord and come underneath of your husband the way that he called you to do. And again, I realize this is not popular in our culture. I realize our culture is teaching something completely different. And I realize somebody can pull sound bites out of this message and make me sound like I'm chauvinistic or something else, and I hope you don't see that heart in the Scripture because that's not the case at all. Ladies, also, let your husbands lead you in church. If your husband wants to go to one church and you want to go to another, go to the one that he wants to go to. Let, that's part of coming on. Where do you want to go? How do you want you, you don't, to... Don't force him to lead but if, he's, if, if, there's a, if there's a contention there, come underneath of your husband. Let him leave. Let him do it. And Peter then encourages women there in verse 3. Look what he says. He says, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden... Person of the heart. Underline that, please, if you happen to take notes in your Bible. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Peter's not saying don't make yourself look pretty. He's not saying don't do your hair, don't put on makeup. What he's saying is don't only concentrate on the outside, there's an inside part too. Make sure you're making yourself beautiful on the inside also. It's fine to spend time on hair and makeup or working out of the gym or putting on jewelry or dressing nice. whatever it is. But make sure you're developing the hidden person of the heart. What's on the inside of you. By the way, I looked it up. 55 minutes a day is what the average woman spends on her outside primping, getting ready, hair, makeup. Now I know, I know. I know. This is the nighttime routine, morning routine. This, that, that was the, that's what Google said, 55 minutes a day. So my, my thought goes, well, I wonder if we spent 55 minutes a day, ladies, on the inside, on preparing our heart. And we just read that the heart, that inside, that's incorruptible. I don't know if you know it, but the outside's corruptible. Gravity wins. I hate to point it out. And you can fight it as long as you want. But ultimately, gravity wins. (coughs) So what do you depend on to make yourself beautiful? The inside or the outside? Guys, what do you look for? The inside or the outside? Hopefully, the answer to that question is both. It's not just one. It should be both. There should be a physical attraction and there should also be an attraction to the inside of who she really is. If you're wondering what that beautiful hidden person of the heart looks like, he tells you, a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. A gentle and a quiet spirit is not very popular in our culture, is it? That's not what women would want you to believe. That's not what most women would say. I, even want, to, I want to strive for that. But can I tell you that a Christian woman should strive for that? Because that's what the word says. Whose approval are you seeking? Whose wisdom are you following? The inner beauty of a godly woman, it's incorruptible. Do you realize that as a woman matures in Christ, her inner beauty gets greater and her outer beauty decreases? It's just age. We all know that. You don't have to live very long to realize most of us that are, you know, 40 or 50, we don't look like we did in our 20s anymore. It doesn't happen that way. We're on the wrong side of the hill. <coughs> but the inner beauty, that grows. That continues to flourish. That continues to change. Incorruptible beauty only gets better with age. And you know what? It's really much more valuable than the outer beauty. Because that can change with a car accident. It can change with a, a fall. It can change with, it can change instantaneously. It can change with a pregnancy. It can change with a diet, with eating it can change momentarily. In a very short period of time. But the, inc- the incorruptible is what's on the inside. Now, Peter gives a real-life example. He says there in verse 5, For in this manner, in former times, holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Again, see, notice it's their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Ladies, Peter wants you to know, Peter wants you to know something. He's telling you, I'm not making this up right now. I'm not, this is not new. It's not a new standard that I'm placing on you. It's not something I just made up. This was practiced by the holy women of old. This is practiced by the ladies who were following God long time ago. It's a powerful demonstration of a woman's faith in the Lord when she submits to her husband and she doesn't trust in her own adornments. This is how godly women in former times lived. That's what he's saying. And I know, and I think Peter understood too, that sometimes husbands make that difficult. Sometimes we make it hard. Some of, them, some of us may not deserve you coming underneath of us. Some of us may not be very good leaders. Some of us may not be doing what we're supposed to be doing, but that's not the criteria the Lord lays out there. Again, you don't do it because your husband deserves it. You don't. You do it because the Lord called you to do it. You do it because the Lord asked you to, and you want to honor your Savior. And when you honor the Lord, he will honor you. Let me make it real simple for you. Make it super easy. Here's what it comes down to. Either you trust in your own ability to lead your family, and then you must influence and control how things go. I want a new house. I want to move to a new place. I want to start a new ministry. I want to do this. And and you force your husband to go in some direction. So either it's your own ability, or you trust God. Or you trust God. And you placed yourself underneath of your husband like the Lord asked you to do and you placed your husband in his hand and say, Lord, he's your problem, not mine. He's yours. If you want him to lead, you need to teach him to be a leader and I'm gonna pray for him. If you want him to learn to learn to love me, then you need to teach him to love and I'm gonna pray for him. You see, you put the husband back in the Lord's hands because I can assure you a democratic marriage doesn't work. You know why? There's only two of you. As long as the votes are the same, as long as you vote yes, it works. What happens when one votes yes and the other votes no? What happens when the husband says, I wanna start this new ministry, and the wife says, no, I don't want to? Well, who makes the decision? Well, we, 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 we have a thing in our house, and I'm, this is not our house, but we have a thing in our house, well, we, we always have to agree on everything. Well, then the person who voted no made the decision, whoever that might be. You see, somebody has to make the final decision. Personally, the scripture teaches the man is responsible before God on that decision. It's his responsibility. Ladies, it's a way out for you. If he says, I want to do something stupid, you say, go ahead, you're going to have to answer for it someday. I just have to say, okay. I have to say, okay. That's all I have to do. You trust your ability to handle it, or do you trust God, him in God's hands? That's really what it comes down to. You know what happens in many of these democratic marriages? The husband backs out. Not leaves. You know what he says? Fine. Fine. If mama's happy, everybody's happy. If mama's not happy, ain't nobody happy. So he'll just take a step back and say, whatever you want. Yes, dear. Yes, dear, whatever you want. Whatever makes you happy. I've worked all day. I'm tired. I got a headache. I don't, I don't want to fight. Just fine. Whatever you make happy. That's not a biblical marriage. That's not what God's asking for. He doesn't want the men to just step back and go, yes, dear, whatever makes you happy. He wants the men to come to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want from my family? You show me where we need to go. And, we'll, and I'll, I'll lead my family in that direction. Peter gave us an example of this. And I know sometimes, guys, we do dumb things. We make dumb decisions. But I'm telling you, when, you, when, when a woman says, I'm going to follow my husband, if the decision is dumb, the Lord will honor it. And let me show you an example of this. Peter gave it to us right here. Abraham and Sarah. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the story of Abraham and Sarah, so I want to quickly share. You don't need to turn there, but this is coming out of Genesis chapter 12. There was a famine in the land they were living. They decide they're going down to Egypt in order to find food. As they approached Egypt, Abraham gets this great idea. He says, I got an idea. He says, Sarah, you're a beautiful woman. And if I take you into Egypt and and I tell everybody you're my wife, they're going to kill me. So here's my plan, honey. I'm going to tell everybody you're my sister. I'll just, and I want you to go along with it. You, you just say, "Hey, I'm Abe's sister." You don't tell, now. Now, the funny thing is, she really was his half sister, but that's a message for a different story, a different time. But, <laughs> honey, just go along with this. It'll be okay. It'll it'll be all right. I I, I have this this is, this all worked out in my head. How many women think this is a good idea? You wouldn't go along with it. What would you say? You'd say, "Stand up and be a man." What's wrong with you? How come you? No, I'm not going to tell them I'm your sister. What? what I thought you were trusting in God. I thought you gave your life to Christ. What is wrong with you? Not Sarah. You know what she does? Well, she, the scripture doesn't tell us that, that she says this, but she basically says, okay, honey, if that's what you think's best, that's what I'll do. Now, we all know it's not a very good idea. We know if we were looking at this idea, if Abraham came to you for counsel and said, listen, hey, bud, I'm on the way to Egypt. My wife, you know, she's a really good-looking lady, and I'm afraid they're going to kill me, so I think I'm going to tell everybody she's my sister. Is that Okay. What would you tell her as a guy? No, don't do that. Stand up, be a man. Let God Trust God. But she says, okay. I'll, I'll, yep. Abe, if you think that's what we need to do, then that's what we're going to do. Now we can all look at this and go, that's not a very good idea. As they come into Egypt, the Egyptians saw how beautiful she was. And they brought her into Pharaoh's house because they believed Abraham was her brother. The Egyptians treated Abraham well. He had a beautiful sister. They gave him servants. They gave him donkeys. They gave him sheep. They gave him oxen. And they gave him camels. He went down there because of a famine, which means he didn't have anything. And now he's getting wealthy down there. He's getting wealthy out of this. And Sarah didn't say a word. Didn't say a word. She went along with it. Ladies, how would you have responded? You'd have told him how unspiritual he was. How he needs to follow God, do the right thing. She doesn't say a word she lets God be God because while all of this is happening while this is all taking place because Abraham was Sarah's or because Sarah was Abraham's wife the scriptures tell us the Lord sent great plagues on Pharaoh's house great plagues eventually the Lord reveals to Pharaoh that Sarah was Abraham's wife so Pharaoh calls Abraham in front of him not a good place to be if you've lied to that guy he holds life and death in his hands. And here's what he says to him. I'm going to read to you from Genesis chapter 12, verse 18. Pharaoh called Abr- Abram, then. His name hadn't been changed to Abraham. Called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Now, uh, um, well, uh, I mean, what do you say to that? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. What are you, stupid, Abram? I might have taken her as my wife. You you lied to me. Now therefore, here's your wife. He gives Sarah back to Abraham. Here she is. Gives her back to her. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. They sent him away with his wife and all that he had all the wealth that he accumulated in Egypt. They sent him away. He got his wife back. He got his, all his livestock, all the food he needed. And it wasn't because he made a good decision. It was made because, it, I believe, he got all of that stuff because his wife honored the Lord. And she believed, and she came underneath of him. Abraham was a fool, and he failed to treat his wife the way he should have, but Sarah honored the Lord. And when the Lord honored Sarah's decision... He honored her in return. He sent them out of Egypt with their lives, their marriage, and with great wealth and food. They went down there broke, and they came out with great things. Sarah obeyed Abraham even when it was difficult, even when the decision was hard, even when it didn't make sense on the human level. And God rewarded the family for that. Peter also pointed out that Sarah called Abraham Lord. That's lowercase L, by the way, there in verse 6. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. That doesn't mean, men, that you get to go have your wife call you Lord tonight before you sit down for supper together. All that is saying is that is her way of expressing verbally her respect for him. That was cultural in that day. It shows the respect she had for her husband, even if his decision wasn't the brightest. She didn't need to point it out to him. It's possible to obey someone without showing them the honor and respect that is part of submission. It's possible to do it in the flesh. But true submission knows both the place, knows the place of obedience and honor. Knows both of them. One commentator said this. An attitude of submission to a husband's authority will be reflected in numerous words and actions each day which reflects submission and respect to his leadership and an acknowledgment of his final responsibility. Ladies, I know it seems like we're picking on you today, but don't worry. You know what comes next. It'll be the guys next. It's really rather simple. Do I want to live my life? Do I want to build my marriage the way God asks me? tells me to do it or do I want to stand on some principle or something I think that the world has it right on ultimately it's your choice you get to choose I would encourage you if you have a heart to reject what God's word says I would encourage you to find a woman in the faith who's been there for a while and chances are she can share with you both sides she's probably lived and done both sides of that and ask her which one is better which one is more fulfilling? Which one brings more peace to the home? Which one is, is where, where, where is she now? Because that's where she'll be, in the, she'll be in the better one. I can assure you there's a difference. And let me remind the guys as we begin to close, don't go home and remind your wife of today's message. It's not your job to tell. I heard one guy after the first service, he asked his wife, do you want to sit through it again? <laughs> and I'm serious. <laughs> I'm not making that up. We got marriage counseling scheduled. No. <laughs> he, was, he was joking. He was joking and, and she was joking with it. But the idea is not that, not that we have as men have to remind our wives of this. If you want to help her in this, the best way to help her is to be the husband that God called you to be and to pray for her. Don't point out her shortcomings. Don't point out her mistakes. I don't want to hear no submit woman. Get behind me. You know, none of that stuff. Because as Christian husbands, we're called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We're called to honor and to respect our wives in all that we do. So sometimes even a joke about something can give off the wrong impression. So don't, it's not our place to do that. But I would encourage you guys, both men and women, including myself and my family, that we would not allow the world's principles to seep in. I don't care if what we teach here is unpopular. Because someday I'm going to answer, did I teach God's word? What did God's word say? I'm not telling you it's going to be easy, ladies, to come underneath of your husband. I'm not saying that at all. Please don't think I'm, I'm, I'm minimizing. It might be really, really hard for you, but I can tell you it'll be really, really worth it when you do it because the Lord will honor your relationship in a way that it doesn't even seem possible, but he will do something miraculous because he's the creator. He's the originator of marriage. He's the one that created man and woman and said, hey, let's bring them together in this union. So may it be that it's our desire to live out God's word. It takes time, I want to encourage you that. You don't just decide, oh, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. It takes time, it takes practice, it's going to, there's going to be failure involved, and that's okay. We just continue on striving forth to what God called us to be. And I think if you're willing to do that, you'll see that the Lord's ways are much better than man's ways. Much better, much greater. Let's pray. Father, as we come across scriptures like this... <coughs> They're hard to hear sometimes. But yet, as I said in the beginning, there's so many problems and so many marriages that I believe your word holds the answer to. Lord, I pray that these words this morning out of your scripture, I pray that they went through with love. Lord, for we know that you've never called a man to rule over a woman. That you don't prefer men over women. But you've called us to different roles that in coming together as one, we can become that husband and wife that become useful in your hands. Lord, may we not take it lightly. May this kind of message not just roll off our back and be gone, but may it be something that we contemplate and that we consider. For it has the power to change our lives forever. This is not a suggestion, but it's a command. May you help us walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand for one last song.